G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Some special ways that God is described in the Bible as one who cares for those who've been neglected and abandoned. Well, he's described as a father of the fatherless. God is described as ensuring orphans and widows receive justice. True religion, we're told in the Bible, is described as visiting orphans and widows in their affliction and keeping oneself unstained from the world. Those words in James chapter 1, verse 27. So we're turning our attention today to the good work that's done by foster carers in Australia and some special attention to the understanding that Christians bring some special dimensions to foster parenting. So many children need God's light and love. And coming up on the 13th of September is a day called Stand Sunday. And it's about connecting Christian parents with opportunities to be foster parents. This is uh, there's an organization that works to raise awareness within the church about the needs of vulnerable children living in out-of-home care. It's called Fostering Hope. And I'll give a and email, I'll give a website address for Fostering Hope as we go through our conversation this hour. Mary Dickens is the coordinator of Fostering Hope, and Mary's joining us. Mary, a special welcome along to 2020. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me, Neil. Mary, uh, all the headlines these days are dominated by coronavirus, uh, but there are some stories that are developing amidst uh, all of the hardships that so many more Australians are facing, which uh, draws some attention to vulnerable children in our community. I wonder if you've got any thoughts here as we get things underway as to the fact that there's been increase in domestic violence uh, with job losses, pressure on families, uh, even abuse and neglect, that there are challenges for children in our community. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a... Um, the it's one of the real negative side effects of coronavirus is um, families that were already vulnerable and already struggling. Um, yeah, as you said, job loss and social isolation have put a lot more families at risk. Um, and even a lot of those supports, which used to be able to, you know, we're, we're always going into people's homes to provide um, in in support in the homes with social workers and even the, the nurses that came in after a newborn baby, a lot of those services have had to be done via Zoom during this time. So um, families have just felt that had to have a lot less hands-on support um, and those are some of the families that really need it. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, it's um, a recent report that came out in Victoria described it um, as um, you're on the face of a, a pandemic of the number of children who are going to need um, placements in out-of-home care, uh, which is just a tragedy that's come out of this whole situation. Okay, let's just dwell on that for a moment. And I know yeah. listeners, uh, it'll be news to so many listening to our conversation today, along with the coronavirus pandemic, is a pandemic of children who are finding themselves in vulnerable situations because 
families are deeply affected by what's happening uh, with the pandemic and the rise of domestic violence, uh, the job losses, the stress on families. And so interesting to describe that as a pandemic. And in other words, there's lots and lots of children in our communities all over Australia right now who need some extra special foster parenting care. Yeah, and and um, as we know, God, um, it would never be God's design to, to remove children from their birth families. You know, God, you, you, you're born into that family for a reason. Um, so the, the supports that, that, are, that are in place that can keep children at home and those families so that they can be the best parents possible, um, we still need those supports. But in this interim time where children may need to be removed for safety reasons, we, we do need a, a growth in the number of people who are going to put their hands up to be foster carers or, or kinship carers. So a kinship carer is someone that is already known to the family or the child. So it might be a relative, but it might be a teacher or a teacher's aide or a um, youth group leader. Um, so people who are willing to say, I, I can step in and, and provide safety for that child um, at this time. And, and hopefully that's it is for a short period of time where that family just can um, re-establish and, and find some supports as we emerge out of coronavirus. Um, but for some families, it may then be a permanent placement, a long-term placement in care. Interesting you say kinship carers, and uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you say that's different to foster carers. Foster carers, it's a detached uh, couple or family that are prepared to take in someone who is finding themselves a child in a vulnerable situation, but the kinship pe- uh, carer, these are people who are close to that particular family. Does there need to be any sort of formal acknowledgement of that or or uh, how does that all work? Because obviously safety for children and safety for parents, so all sorts of things uh, in that. So kinship carers and foster carers, uh, do they need to have a sort of a formal acknowledgement that that's what they're doing to help that family? So um, in um, Australia, um, children who enter out-of-home care, who so they're formally removed by the state government, so that um, that's in each state and territory with the Child Protection or Child Safety Services, they all have different names, <laughs> um, they, they formally go in and remove that child and then that child is placed in out-of-home care. Um, ideally, that's family-based care, so that's in the family, so that's a foster care, foster care family or a kinship care family. So foster carers are people, like I'm a foster carer, so it's someone that says this is something I want to do with my life and so you go through the training and then you have a placement. Um, a kinship carer is often, as, we, as I said before, someone who's known to that child and so um, the department or the, your relative state government department will look at who's in that child's circle already and approach some of those people to say, would you be willing to take this child on as a you know, full, a, a permanent or full-time placement until either the, the, the family is able to have that child return home or um, in an ongoing way. Um, so a kinship carers still then, um, they may receive the placement of the child before they finish their formal training and get the house checked to make sure all those steps are ticked off. Um, but ideally, they should, they, they still... It's still a formal placement, and the the state government is the rel- is the the guardian, the legal guardian of that child, um, because they're the ones that have done the removing. Um, and there are situations, maybe like you're talking about, where there's informal um, situations. So, where it might be someone who is struggling, and they just approach someone and say, "Would you would you help me out?" Um, 
and and that that informal care um, does happen in Australia as well, obviously in, in communities and in ways we support each other. Um, but when the when the state government's involved and there's concerns for the safety of a child, um, either for neglect or abuse, um, then it's a formal placement into foster or kinship care. Okay, and best to have authorities involved when there are issues of neglect yes. or abuse. Uh, that, uh, that, in some sense, uh, brings in a, a third party that can actually um, monitor the situation and make sure everything is done in the best interests of the child. And Mary, take us into your story here. You said, I'm a foster carer. Uh, you and your husband, Al, have had this on your hearts for a long time. And we're talking to you today from Tasmania. And uh, give us some insight here into your own story. Yeah, so we, um, my um, husband fostering has always been part of his, his journey and his story. Um, his mum actually grew up in foster care. Um, and so it was always just part of his his world and, and her story um, and seeing her connect with her siblings um, and um, and growing up in, in that way. And so um, it wasn't until we began fostering and we took our first placement and um, we had this moment of, wow, this is in every way living out our faith <laughs> yes. um, and, and why isn't this talked about in, in the church or even in our you know in our middle class um, school community um, we, we were the only fostering family when we when we began and we were the only fostering family in our church and we just wanted we just we couldn't work out why this wasn't a conversation in the, in those places um, so that was where we began um, and, and through that journey we began talking to my mother-in-law more about her story and her journey and um, we discovered that as a teenager she was um, placed with a Christian family for just three months um, but, but through that, that placement with that Christian family and meeting a, a new group of people and getting involved in youth group and um, a different friendship group that actually is what changed the trajectory of her life. Um, and not then just her life, but then the generations that have followed through her children, my children, and hopefully into the future as well. And this is so, so powerful because mm. what's happened in your family is seriously having an effect on generation after generation after generation because uh, it's your mother-in-law you're talking about here uh, who was mm. put into foster care, and you say, for a period of only three months. And that three months changed her life so dramatically that it's passed on to you and now into your own children as well. I mean, three months uh, doesn't seem very long, but three months can make a difference. Yeah, well, it can put you in a different world, can't it? So it puts you into a world where you have different different adults and different influences speaking truth into your life. Okay, Stand Sunday is coming up on the 13th of September and, uh, you know, one of the motivations for our conversation today, uh, nothing hidden here, uh, Mary would like to make contact with those Christian parents who would like to uh, move along in a process of becoming a foster carer. And uh, so we'll give the website and give opportunity for listeners today to connect with you so that they can find out some detail as to how they can do that. So Stand Sunday, coming up on the 13th of September, the idea is to say to people who are part of churches, Christian parents who could be foster carers and have a huge impact on a vulnerable child in their community, uh, it's a pretty significant thing. How many years has it been going now, do you know, uh, Mary? Stand Sunday. So 
Dan Sunday, this is about our second year in Australia. Okay, so it's only <laughs> um, but you. But it's been yep. going um, overseas. In America, it's been going for... Oh, now you've put me on the spot. Well, I think about since 2012. Um, and that it began in a church in, in America where a minister um, it stood up and w- he had a sermon ready to go and um, he just looked at his congregation and for some reason he felt foster care was on his heart and he said to his church, you know, he expressed a need like we've been talking about for for more carers and he asked who's going to stand with me and next thing you know half the congregation was standing up and that particular county um, in the US now has more foster carers than kids who need homes. Wow. And, and that's just incredible because I mean in the, so I guess in that the, the stats in Australia is we have more carers exiting the system every year than we're able to recruit. So we've got a deficit of, of homes and more kids needing homes. Um, as we talked about at the beginning with coronavirus, this is only going to um, become more exaggerated in, in really the next couple of years. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Opening our talkback line on 1-800-316-316 and you can leave a note to or a question on our Facebook question today. Facebook.com forward slash Vision Radio is foster care an appropriate Christian response to family dysfunction and neglect or is it solely the responsibility of the state? I said we're not going to sugarcoat our conversation and recognising that kids that we call vulnerable are often coming from a home where there's been some level of neglect or even some level of abuse. And uh, Mary Dickens is our guest this hour. Mary, when you talk to Christian parents about foster caring, uh, you like to talk about local mission here. Uh, just unpack that a little for us because as you connect what you can do as a parent with your parenting skills, it becomes a missionary activity. Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, yeah, when we began um, fostering, we, um, and as I said a little bit a while ago, we, we, we were trying to work out why isn't this a, why isn't fostering a, a conversation in our church community and and we I guess we related it to people going on overseas mission where people feel called as Christians we're called to to do mission and to live out our faith and live out our gospel and people often think about that as going overseas to do that and what we're really trying to encourage is people to think there's actually children families right here in our neighbourhoods in Australia that need. God's love and need our love as well and fostering is a perfect way to be a local missionary in your local community so it's it's doing all those things you would do if you're overseas it's opening your home to the people around you it's opening your heart it's being hospitable um, and it's just showing God's love and kindness in the way you live out your life Um, and what we found as as foster carers is it's just opened up so many opportunities for conversations about our faith because people ask why do you do it <laughs> um why do you put the, the needs of these kids you know ahead of your own and 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 get um you're opening up your life like you mentioned to the to the broken and the hard and that can be hard on 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 marriages it can be hard on um birth children be hard on extended families um, and it can be hard on, on some of our schools you know if you're in a school which doesn't have a lot of children with high needs so you're, you're bringing that brokenness into your world um, but to shine God's light and love into it and as all of us who have stepped out in faith to do something hard we know the joys 
outweigh the hard, but in in the in the hard, it it can be hard. And um, when you talk about sugar coating it, I, I talk so as Fostering Hope down in Tassie, we support about thirty fostering and kinship families. And a lot of them would say there's no way they would encourage anyone else to do this yes. <laughs> if they're on it because yeah. it, it's hard. These kids, um, we we love these kids and, and we put the needs of of them ahead of our ahead of our own. Um, and um, we also open up your lives to to the state government, to to the department in your state or territory. Um, and you open up your lives to birth families, and naturally children are only removed if there's messiness. Um, so you're, you're opening your life up to that, and that all of those layers can be really challenging, but all of those layers are where, as Christians, we can offer hope and light and a different conversation. Um, you know, for us, I, I encourage all our fostering and families to pray before every meeting and to go into it with, with hands open to um, letting letting God speak through you in that meeting, which might not mean the outcome you want <laughs> and often won't, but you can know that you've put you've put your trust in that um, uh, going into them. Well, this is wonderful insight that you're giving to us today and we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Zoe, who's in Lakes Entrance in Victoria. Hi, Zoe, welcome. Uh, hello, yes. Zoe, what are your thoughts? Hello. Zoe, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are uh, we started doing foster care um, in our 50s and because our children had left home and we felt like we wanted to put back into the community as we always did with our kids. And my husband wasn't a Christian at that time, but um, I was. And we had this young girl and she came to us about the age of seven and uh, who'd never even seen the beach, who had never been in the sea. And she was a lovely child, but extremely damaged. And we were doing short-term foster care, which meant that uh, we could only have her for uh, no more than two years, I think it was, for short-term foster care. And but we became extremely attached to this young girl, and she never lasted any longer in a foster care home um, other than two years uh, because she was so damaged. So they used to keep us free when she was gone where they tried her in permanent foster care, but she always bounced back and she came back to us. And um, at the age of um, probably about 10, when she'd bounced back to us again, she would come to church with me every Sunday and um, she gave her life to the Lord. There was a few other children in the church and I talked to her about it, and we'd always had the conversations with her about Jesus and who he, who Jesus is and what he could do. Like us. She would pray at night time. She would wake up from nightmares in the night time, and I'd just go and sit with her, and I'd lay my hands on her and just pray with her. And eventually this poor lass did come to a sad end because she was taken from us to a permanent foster care home, and she did commit suicide in the end. My goodness. Um, yeah. But, my, yes, it was, uh, even now it's heart-rendering to me to talk about her because mm. she did come to call us mum and dad. And um, you come but, to love these children, Zoe, because mm. they're in your care yeah. and you form a bond and it's a parental a child bond and uh, you do yeah. learn to love these children. That's why it hurts so much when you hear that sort of bad news. Mm. Yeah, 
But I had another two. We had two boys that came to us. Uh, Zoe, family. I'll just I'll just hold you on that because uh, I do want to let Mary in uh, for a comment here on on your story as it as it goes. And I'm sure there are a lot of stories like that you've heard, Mary. But uh, what are your thoughts for Zoe here? I just th- thank you for sharing your story, Zoe, and and thank you for putting um, for doing what you did for for that young girl. It it sounds sounds like you even for those times that she came to you, that you offered that safe place that was full of hope and love and she knew she was she was safe there and that she could trust you and your husband. And that would have carried through for the rest of her life. Zoe, you were going to share that you've been a foster carer for another a number of other children too, very, very quickly. Uh, so you've been doing this now on and off, a short-term foster care for a long time? We did it for about six years. We're now in our 70s, so we haven't done it. And we've often thought that we would like to be like um, grandparents to a child, which we had talked about um, a number of years ago. But I just want to share with you with another two boys that we had, which is a, a bit better. Uh, Zoe, story. I will hold you there because I've got other calls to come through. But I want to thank you so much and honour to you because uh, just to, to make the sacrifices that you and your husband made to be foster parents. Uh, just want to thank you so much for uh, calling in and sharing that story with us today here on 2020. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Uh, I've got another call to take and uh, not far out from news. Let's hear from Catherine in Brisbane, Queensland. Hi, Catherine. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. And hello, Mary. Hello, Catherine. Um, I used to be a foster parent for some 20 years, my husband and I. We had four natural children and we did short-term fostering of babies before adoption as well as um, two long-term children for the 20 years um, and they were they were involved in church and it was wonderful. I'm now on my own and I am a grandmother. So do you have grandmother fostering? Yeah, that's a great question, Catherine. And, um, and I was going to mention that on following up on Zoe's question. So one of the, the big things we need in Australia is not... Is, in addition to full-time foster carers is respite carers. And so respite carers are people that will give the full-time foster carers a break. So they they do like maybe one weekend a month and or a week of school holidays or some kind of arrangement like that. And it's a great thing for, for people in that grandparent age group or the other end of the spectrum. So people who don't have children yet, um, we've got a few um, young couples down here in Tassie who are respite carers and they just love it. So they get to be either at either end of the spectrum um, that a different kind of positive influence on a child's life and another adult taking love and kindness into them. And, um, yeah, as you'd imagine, when a child's removed from a birth family, they're also removed often from an extended family. So respite carers can be great extended family, not only around the child but also around the fostering family um, to provide that extra level of support. So definitely there's a great role as a respite carer and we'd we'd encourage people like we talked about earlier to go through the training and the formal process to become a respite carer just so that everything's um, approved by the government and and we're you know we're ensuring that children are kept safe and Catherine you said you're on your own now is that right Yes, that's correct. So, uh, Mary, is there an issue there with being on your own or is it advantageous to have a couple who are involved in the parenting so there's two parents instead of just one uh, or grandparents, as in the case of Catherine here? Any thoughts there? Um, 
the any anyone is welcome as long as you're over 18. Um, so there's there are quite a lot of single women that that do foster care um, as as a, as a mission. So they they've chosen that's how they're gonna um, that's how they want to live out their life. So um, yeah, you can be single in a couple. Um, at any stage of having your children, I think Zoe before mentioned that she began her and her husband began fostering after their kids had left home. Um, so any any stage of life, um, we need fostering kinship carers. Um, and we, you know we have some some young some couples who are unable to have their own children and they become fostering kinship care or foster carers for that reason um, as well. Okay, Catherine, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Mary, let me ask you here, because while we're talking about that sort of grandparent role as mm-hmm. someone who can be a support, uh, there's all sorts of other roles too that people can play. And uh, I'm just thinking of mentoring and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's uh, it's not just someone who is a, a, a parent or a grandparent type figure. You've got all sorts of other roles that people can play. Yeah, that's a big part of what we try and encourage with our work at Fostering Hope is to say um, we definitely need more full-time carers, but we also um, need other people to step into the lives of, of these children and and also a fostering family. So I guess a bit like the overseas mission, if you're sending someone from your church on overseas mission, you'd probably have a local um, prayer team and support team for that, that family or that um, couple or individual who's gone overseas and so if we think about fostering as that family from your church is is living out a local mission in their community how is that church getting around them um, so definitely mentors um, for, for children in care um, we also you know meal rosters um, babysitting um, we have some lovely programs of um, foster parents night off so they, they get one night off a month and to, um, and get free babysitting. Um, sometimes transport, so often when you've got large families and you're having to drive kids everywhere, um, support with transport. So there's lo- lots of different ways um, a church community can get around a fostering family if, if they just ask um, what they need. Um, and I guess a massive thing is prayer. This is, um, you know, as we've talked about, removing children from a family is, is messy and broken and there's a, a huge need for, for prayer and, and spiritual support And for that we'll family. talk some more about that after the Vision National News. As we get under this part of our conversation underway, let me just return to these vulnerable kids for a moment here. Um, we heard in the first part of our conversation uh, when we heard the kids were referred to as damaged kids... And we said, we're not sugarcoating this conversation. Uh, there are some real challenges with kids of coming out, out of dysfunctional and uh, abusive uh, relationships within their own family. Uh, there's a difference, isn't there, between kids doing naughty things and kids responding because they've got this sort of damage. How do you describe the challenges that kids are going through? Um, yeah, so... Children um, who enter out-of-home care are only removed because of um, either they have been abused or neglected or there's concern of abuse or neglect. Um, And when we all think about our own childhood, um, hopefully for most of us, uh, most of you who are listening, our childhood was full of um, not any responsibilities, just going to school, having fun, thinking about what sport you were doing after school, um, not having to worry about um, 
whether you're going to have dinner or not. Um, and it, it, you only get, we like to say, you only get one chance at childhood. You never get a chance at being four again or 10 again or even 13 again. Um, and so for as you're growing and developing, um, I know for me I just take for granted those next stages and steps as I grew up. But at any point, um, children who receive trauma and neglect as they're growing up, that actually does affect their development and their growth and the brains are developing. So trauma um, affects the way um, neural pathways develop. Um, if children are living in, in any kind of fear, that frontal lobe of their brain, which that fear fight fight fright or um, fear response is just on hyper alert so all those hormones and um, adrenaline is just pumping through their body and they never actually are able to sit and relax and learn Um, so you put all of that that's going on in their bodies and you try and put them in a classroom or in a family setting um, and it just doesn't match Um, so these, these unfortunately children who have received early trauma or neglect it does affect their brain development and it affects their then their growth and ongoing development in, edu- in education and in being able to emotionally connect with other people. Um, so when they enter care, one of the big things we need to do as fostering and kinship families is provide healing environments, provide places that are safe, um, provide places where they can, can learn to regulate and learn um, that adults are, can be safe and relationships can be safe. Um, and they can trust people, and and only from that place of safety, it's, it's like um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You, you've got to feel safe before you can then start your other developmental steps. Um, you've got to know you've got a warm bed to sleep in at night before you can start then engaging in school. Um, yeah. A powerful thought. Judy responded to our Facebook question today. Judy says, foster care is a lifesaver for many children if placed in a home that treats the child with dignity, trust and respect, they will thrive. And so, as you say, you've got to get through uh, a lot of uh, hardships at the beginning and in some sense, I imagine, win the trust of the child so that they can feel safe and so that they can then begin to thrive. Yeah, yeah, it, it, exactly that. And and having, and having a different... Um, view in a way of, of parenting and your role um, you, ne- you need to go into that all of that eyes wide open that often you know one of our foster sons entered care at seven but he because of some of his early trauma he wasn't emotionally a seven-year-old he was more like a four-year-old so as foster or kinship carers you, you've got to then learn how to um, you know get treat um, love a child to get back those years that they've they've suffered trauma um, so that they can then um, begin to engage it. Um, hopefully, you know, when they leave our homes and go on to adulthood, they can, you know, know how to have a... The, the goal is to, to change the trajectory of their life and so that they can go on and live a happy life. Um, and, and we know that the brain is malleable and that healing can happen through building that trust. Um and and that's a really important thing in doing the, we talked earlier about going through the formal process of becoming a foster or kinship carer. Through that process in Australia, the training is really good um, on, on trauma and attachment. And um, we encourage all foster and kinship carers to do any opportunity to, to read more, or do extra training on trauma and attachment. Um, and it's another role that we um, really encourage the church to become trauma-informed places that um, kids and youth group leaders 
um, understand trauma, understand, as you said earlier, these kids aren't just naughty. There's something else going on um, in their behaviour. And so how can we provide um, church spaces that um, don't just see these kids as naughty, but see these kids as needing that extra love and support? Ian responded to our Facebook question, says, This is the best mission a Christian can do at home. There are so many kids in need of a safe home with unconditional love and grace. I do want to ask you, because when we talk about being a foster carer, and today we're talking to a lot of people who'll say, I'm a Christian, I'm aligned with my Christian values, and uh, there are some dimensions that come with the sort of alignment that we have as Christians that I would suggest would give us some level of advantage in the way that uh, the influence comes towards the child. I wonder if you've got any thoughts on on uh, on the fact that Christian parents make great foster parents. Um, well, obviously I'm biased, <laughs> but I think that um, what I see in the, the Christian care as we have and, um, is our motivation to become a care is not is there's, a, there's any care foster or kinship care you need I'm inspired by because they are putting the needs of these kids above their own and they're just an awesome group of people to hang around with yep. <laughs> but, but what this doing foster Christian carers have is our motivation behind caring is our faith and is God's love for these children so even as um, we had a call before Zoe who um, unfortunately um, the child that they um, had in their care um, committed suicide later but um, what she would have known is that she'd offered that child God's love and God's care and God's healing and so we know as, as Christian carers that, that God loves these children even way more than we ever could and God's placed them with us and in our family for a reason and even if that's just if, if it's for three months if it's for three years it's, if it's for the rest of their lives um, there's a God's got a plan for their life, so so we can trust that in the way we provide care and love, and I think that just underlying motivation and knowledge does, um, yeah, change the way we we care and love these kids. Um, and another advantage we have as Christian carers is hopefully we're part of church communities, so we aren't just doing it on our own; we are doing it. In a, in a church family, in a church community that's supporting us and supporting the kids in our home as well. Um, we spoke a little earlier about this bond that forms between the foster carer, the foster parent and the child. And I wanted to ask you about that whole, you know, short-term, long-term foster care because it might appear that some parents... Uh, might say, you know, I could never give that child back. Mm. Uh, the, the the attachment becomes so strong there and the love that is uh, birthed between the uh, child and the parents, uh, you know, what sort of, how do you deal with that? How do you explain to people that sometimes you have to give that child back or the child moves on? Yeah, yeah it's definitely one of the most common things um, I hear is I could never do it because I couldn't ever give the child back. Um and I think um, you, it's one of also the, the ways of the sacrifice that we're doing is, is knowing that they're not actually our child, they're God's child. Um, and if we can provide a home for them that shows them love and care and healing and then they do go back to a birth family and 
it's a positive story. So if that birth family has been able to get their life back on track or make the changes needed, that's actually the best thing for that child. Um, if um, they move on to a different placement that's a better placement, then we can trust God's plan for that child um, in their life. Um, and just really knowing that they're, they're not our children anyway. Um, I, I guess even when we began our journey, I realised um, even our own birth children, you know, they're a gift to us from God and we've got no control over how they end up <laughs> um, and it's no different with children who enter our care and we've just got to trust that God's plan for their life and trust that while they're with us, what we, what our role is, is to provide them unconditional love and show them that they're important and that they matter and that there's a plan for their life. So when uh, what's the typical time that people are beginning a foster carer role? Because uh, we heard from a couple of callers earlier and they'd started later on and after they'd raised mm. their family. Uh, is it normal to say, well, okay, I've raised my family. Now I can, I can share my skills, my love uh, with uh, children outside my family because now I've raised my family. Or do people take in... Uh, foster children uh, and they've already got a set of their own biological children and uh, they fit them into the family what are the what's the pros and cons here what are your thoughts um they um everything you just mentioned we we support foster and kinship families at every stage of their life journey so um some single single women we don't have any I don't know of any single men. <laughs> I'm sure they're out there, but we've got um, single women, um, young couples who haven't had their children yet and begin or haven't had begun their own family there and begin fostering them um, and people who have their own children. So that's when we started is our children were two and four and we thought, well, um, we're already at this stage of life. Um, so what could be adding one more? We didn't yeah. expect it to be three more <laughs> um, yeah. at this stage of life. And so we were already doing that stage of life with kids. Um, and then, as you mentioned, you have people who their kids leave home and then they, it's something they want to do at that stage. So it really works at um, any stage. And it, it is, as we've been talking about, it is, it is a, a whole of life commitment because it is, um, if you're a full-time carer, it's 24-7. Um, and it's your whole life that's affected. So you do need to be at the stage of life where you can do that. So for some families, it, it's waiting till you know they've they've bought a house and they're not renting, or they have to renovate, or um, you know work situations works out so that they can have an extra child. Um, but at the same time, it's a bit like having your own children. Um, there's probably not the right time. It's um, sometimes it's just saying yes and trusting God with the journey and the placement. Um, so we've got a, a couple of families down here who, um, you know, did the training seven years ago and then they renovated and so it wasn't, too, then they did the training again and so it was, you know, it was a seven year journey before they actually took the placement because it was when it was the right timing um, for that family. Yep. Mary, um, you and Al, uh, so you've got three foster children and uh, how many biological children? Um, two. Two. Okay. So, so house of five boys. <laughs> okay, five boys. Uh, do your biological children 
get a little bit of jealousy in there that sort of says, uh, you know, how about giving your attention to me uh, because your attention seems to be a lot on uh, these other children in the family. Is that a typical sort of, you know, let's let's talk about from the children's point of view. If you've got your own biological children and then you're taking in other children, uh, what's the effect on your own children? Yeah, so this um, is is a sensitive area and I'll speak, so I'll speak from our family's position, our journey, and it's been an unbelievably positive journey for our children and we Good. really trust God in that. Um, so our, the two, our two younger foster children entered our family from birth. Um, we weren't actually, didn't put our hand up to say we'd take newborns. <laughs> I was done with the newborn stage. <laughs> um, but what that meant is that our two our two sons have just grown up with these children and it's a really natural way to enter the family and they've never questioned um, the the sharing of the time or anything because they've just seen them as, as their siblings right from the beginning. Um, our older foster son entered our home at seven um, and he actually went to our, our eldest son's the same school as him so when he entered care um, we were kind of seen as the obvious choice to put our hands up um, and that uh, we can just see God all over that story, um, both for the way it's affected our biological children and the way they just embraced him and loved him and the change in his life. Um, and the impact that's had on our school community as well has been massive. Um, so I, I guess so for biological children, it can be, um, it, it, I guess it's like the living at, it's a living out your mission. So if you're trusting God in that, you're trusting he's got a plan for them. And I don't want to say that in a too cliche way because it can be really hard on some families. Um, but for our boys, it's been amazing. And for them, they don't have to deal with the department or with birth families. So they just think if a child needs a home, of course they should live with us. <laughs> um, they don't think about any of the other stuff. <laughs> uh, no, that's beautiful. Your story is a beautiful story. I know that there'll be parents listening to us now, uh, whether they're, you know, they've raised a family already or uh, some would be thinking, well, uh, Mary's story is interesting. You've got uh, you've got this mix and this blend and, and I'm sure not every short or long-term uh, foster child comes uh, as a baby uh, and uh, sometimes they're, you know, it could be all sorts of different ages. But the process of becoming a foster carer, you don't just sort of put your hand up and then somebody delivers a child tomorrow. Uh, there's, there's, there's a process here. Uh, take us a little along the process steps. So for listeners who might be thinking, I could do this in my own community, uh, but I'd need to know some more detail. How do you do that? Yeah, so um, it's, it's not a quick process and so I really want to encourage people in, in thinking about it that do pray about it and think about it. Um, when you So you call your local um, state government child protection or child safety services agency or go to their website um, and you say you're interested in the training and the training could happen through, you could, through the state government or every state and territory have local foster care agencies so they're community organisations that are supported funded to support foster and kinship carers. So you could do the training through one of those. So that might be an Anglicare, it might be a BAP care, Life Without Barriers, all, all different ones around the country and some with specific to Indigenous communities or sibling groups. Um, and so you do your training um, and 
then after your initial training, there will be what's called an in-home assessment. So someone from that agency will come into your home and do um, some sessions with you and your family. Um, it could involve your biological children if you have children or extended family. Um, and through that process, it's really about making sure you know you're understanding trauma and you know what, what's going on. And then you have to have your home check just to make sure it's safe, things like fences and PowerPoints. <laughs> um, and then after that, um, you're ready for a placement. So we say it's about a six to nine month process. So a bit like preparing for your own, your own baby. Um, so you're thinking about um, all those things, preparing your community. Um, for Christian carers, we encourage you to think about who could be a respite carer. So who in your community could be on this journey from the beginning with you so that when, when you start that placement, um, you've got support, but that child's also um, feels welcomed into a community and a family as well. Well, that is just such valuable insight. So it's a six or nine month journey. And so if you set off on that journey, uh, you know, obviously uh, making inquiries is a start. But then once you decide, mm. yes, I want to become a foster carer, uh, the, the idea of getting some training and uh, connecting with local foster care agencies and uh, getting your in-home assessments, uh, doing those renovations that you might have to have in your own house uh, so that you've got a appropriate fences and PowerPoints and all of the safety issues there and and no doubt all sorts of uh, checks that would be done as you say you've got to open yourself out mm. up, up to the authorities because they want to know all about you so that they can assess whether you are going to be a safe foster care parent for the children that they're going to put in your care and so there's there's lots of hoops to jump through uh, but uh, the on the other side of that, uh, all worthwhile because you mm -hmm. get to... Uh, let me ask you about this because, yes, we've been talking about hardships, but on the other side of that, there must be some levels of... Uh, of, uh, of feeling good, uh, knowing that you are making a difference in the life of a child. Uh, can you take us into some of the fulfillment aspects here? We're just about the end of our conversation, but uh, this is something you clearly are so passionate about. And and uh, and some people will be saying, you know, is there a certain, you know, is there a win here for the parents? It's mm. not all just hardship. What what are your thoughts here, Mary? Um. Yes, there's total wins. <laughs> um, but personally, so um, anytime you step out to do something hard, you grow. So for me as a person, I've I've grown in my my strength, my faith, um, how I see joy, um, my ability to love. You know, you have your first child and you don't think you could love anyone any more than that, and then you have a second child and opening up your home to kids that aren't your own you just grow in love and ability to love so that you go on a personal journey through this um, and then the actual changing the lives um, the trajectory of children's lives and being able to have relationship with birth parents and birth families is just such a privilege that they're, they're trusting you to look after their child they might not want it <laughs> but someone else has trusted you with a child to look after and love um, so as I mentioned before our older foster son um, he, you know, he often jokes he used to be in the principal's office every week. He hasn't been in the principal's office in two years. <laughs> wow. um, he's now a, school, yep. now a school captain. There's no way three years ago he would have thought he'd be a school captain. Um, and we've got this lovely relationship with his extended family, so his grandparents and his uncles, who he didn't have a relationship with before he entered care. Um, and I, I never would have thought going into fostering that 
um, that would be a, a story. Um, so our biological sons actually have a weekend of every school holidays with his grandparents. Um, so they feel like they've adopted three extra kids into their home. <laughs> um, so you've, you've got to go into it eyes wide open because every story is different um, and it, it has its own challenges but also has incredible joys. And, and sometimes joys, um, like often anything that's hard, as we said, that you don't see until years down the track. Um, yeah, so it might take a little time uh, going through all the hardships, but there is fulfilment mm. uh, when there are good outcomes. And uh, what amazing outcomes there is in your family. That's just so exciting to hear. And let me just top off with a thought from Glenda, who responded to our Facebook post today. Said, uh, Glenda said, I'm a registered foster parent because we were called by God to do so. Mm-hmm. And it's so important but it's such a messy, difficult journey. We have done so for 11 years so far. We've had 14 children pass through or stay in our home. And uh, thank you, Glenda, for responding there. Let me give the website. For those parents who are thinking, I could give this a try, I could test the waters, I could find out about whether this is a direction we could go and make a difference in our own community to vulnerable children in our own town. Uh, fosteringhope.community fosteringhope.community and I'll just mention that on the 13th of September a day called Stand Sunday it's a day nationally when uh, then Christian parents are encouraged to think about how they may be able to pursue a role as a foster carer in your community fosteringhope.community And I just want to thank uh, Mary Dickens, who's the coordinator of Fostering Hope. And we're talking to you from Tasmania today. But Mary, your reach is across all this big nation of ours, uh, every state and territory. And so for listeners who connect with you at fosteringhope.community, you'll be able to point them in the right direction. Mary, thank you so much for sharing your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And um and thank you for everyone that has um, shared their stories and um, yeah, and shared their hearts for fostering as well. And and I just want to also want to encourage churches on that stand Sunday to also just celebrate the fostering kinship carers in your church community or in your neighbourhood. Who's you know people who might not come to your church but who are stepping out as carers around you. It's a great day to celebrate them and say thank you. Sounds like a standing ovation is in order for those churches that are able to meet. (laughs) Mary, thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.